Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. Here's your host, Kyle Charter. Purdue found a path to victory again at Maryland, running its winning streak to three. It will try to earn number four on Saturday back home at Ross-Aid Stadium versus Nebraska. Let's chat on Gold and Black. Radio Kyle Charters here with the always on sides. Tom Deanhart <laughs> produced a two-point victory against the uh, Terrapins on Saturday. Man, what a game. That was a, a thriller. Purdue made a lot of the right decisions in the fourth quarter of that contest to come back and get the victory. Got a, a couple of touchdowns uh, to seal it up. Payne Durham with the TD, then Payne Durham with the long reception, and Purdue, uh, after a penalty, gets a stop on a two-point conversion to preserve the victory. Man, what a game uh, for Purdue and a, and a challenging uh, team, I think, in Maryland. But, you know, it wasn't always perfect for the Boilermakers, Tom, but they did make the right moves in the final minutes of this one, which hasn't always been the case this year, to be able to pull out a victory. First, Kyle, the only time I'm offside is if there's like a box of Mary Lou donuts there and roll at the, at the, at the goal <laughs> line. I'm, I'm going to jump the snap, okay? But, yeah, I tell you what, how about, <laughs> yeah. how about this, Kyle? Purdue is learning how to finish. And I think what's, what's really encouraging if you're a coach and a fan is, is the, I guess, the resiliency, the unflappability of Purdue they've displayed this year um, after suffering a couple of tough losses in September. Kyle, even this month, the adversity they've been hit with in some of these games, and uh, they still found a way to win at Minneapolis and, of course, win last Saturday in College Park. So that intangible, that unflappability, that resiliency is a heck of a good sign of, I guess, I guess you have some strong internal leaders that are keeping everything together. And, again, that was on full display Saturday. You, I think you hit some of the highlights there. 14 fourth-quarter points, Kyle. Last week they had 10 fourth-quarter points. They delivered in crunch time. How about this step, buddy? The last three games, Bruce committed a combined six turnovers, three in each game. And the defense has given up exactly three total points off those six turnovers, none on Saturday. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Kyle, is this Florida maker defense for a second year in a row has turned out to really be, the, I guess, the underlying backbone of this program. Wouldn't you be challenged to find any consecutive road games in Purdue's history in which it turned the ball over in each game three times and somehow still won the game, and especially being underdogs in each game? It seems almost impossible for those set of circumstances to be true, but you're right. The defense has kept Purdue in games and allowed the offense to sort of find a way to recover, and luckily over the last couple of weeks it has recovered in the fourth quarters. You're exactly right, and um, the run defense in particular has been outstanding. You've watched a lot of Purdue football. You've seen a lot of bad Purdue defenses over the years, so have I. This Purdue defense is legit good against the run, Kyle. They're still going up less than 100 yards rushing the game and uh, still have not allowed a 100-yard rusher this year. And this is really amazing to me, Kyle, that they don't get gassed for big plays on the ground. They've given up the fewest runs of 10 yards or more in the Big Ten, I think only 11. 
And they've given up the fewest runs of over 20 yards in the Big Ten, just one run of over 20 yards against Purdue through six games. Think about that. So credit Mark yeah. Hagen, credit that D-line, credit the front seven, doing a great job uh, versus the run. Again, now this defense is scoring the league. It's hard to be perfect in coverage, Kyle. You're, you're going to get beat. You're going to get a big plays. It happens, right? And we saw Maryland march down the field methodically right at the end of that game and score the touchdown, and they're, they're, they're trying to – force OT on that two-point play. So, um, again, they're not perfect. But I tell you, when any time you're good against the run, Kyle, I think you have a chance to have a good defense, and that's certainly been the case for Purdue this year. Yeah, I probably wish that secondary shored up the, uh, the tackling a little bit. You're right, the coverage, you know, at times you're going to have some breakdowns. That's just going to happen. But, man, they could really be good, uh, really be even better, I should say, uh, against the run and in some circumstances against the pass if, uh, if the secondary would shore things up a little bit. From uh, from a tackling point of view, hey, you mentioned resiliency. I mean, Purdue goes much like the Penn State game from a scenario in which it's going to lead at halftime to suddenly the game being tied, and then all those slew of turnovers in the third quarter. It, it says something about someone. Uh, I, I don't know who the person is. <laughs> maybe it's Jeff Robb. Maybe it's Aiden O'Connell. Maybe it's the entirety of the team to be able to stick with it because, man, you, that game was tied, but it, it, it suddenly went from feeling like Purdue was in good shape to the game being tied and feeling like the game was tied and Purdue was in terrible shape, yet they still found a way to be able to get the victory. Yeah, that was dispiriting to see. Uh, you know, Brown scored that touchdown. You know, Corey tries getting drugged at the goal line, and we all had flashbacks on that September 1st game, like you referenced, Kyle, against Penn State when – their tight end, Brenton Strange, did the same thing right at the end of the first half. But unlike that game, you know, Purdue obviously um, ended up finding a way on, on Saturday, even though they had the three turnovers on consecutive possessions <laughs> at Maryland, and they still found a way to one. So, again, hats off. Talked about the resiliency, Kyle. But let's talk a little about Charlie Jones. It's, 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 it's been an interesting first half of the year, right? The first three games, Kyle. I went back and did some, some research. How about this? 32 catches, 474 yards, five touchdowns. The last three games, 18 catches, 129 yards, two touchdowns. Last week, I think he had three catches for 15 yards against Maryland. They still won the game, obviously. Heck, they won their last three with Charlie Jones having those numbers. They still really haven't had a number two receiver step up, although Payne Durham's playing very well. So, again, it's, it's, yeah, I guess teams are figuring out maybe on how to defend Charlie. But you think if they're doing that, that should create some room for some other wide receiver. But, you know, we really haven't seen a consistent guy step up, although we saw flashes from Mershon Rice on Saturday. Yeah, I saw flashes from T.J. Sheffield, Mershon Rice, but you're right. There just has not been that one guy. And Brock Thompson would probably be the perfect complimentary yeah. guy. I mean, he really would be, uh, but just, you know, unable to get out there. Due to injury, it will be interesting to see, you know, what becomes here in the second half of the year with Charlie Jones if Purdue was able to find him a little bit more often. I, I think, you know, one thing that you have to take away from these last three games, all victories for Purdue, is that Purdue can be better. I mean, it, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully Purdue will continue to improve, especially on offense. I don't, I don't know that we have seen the best of Aiden O'Connell, and, and part of that is injury. Uh, I still don't know that he was 100% uh, this last weekend, though he was a lot closer than he was 
against Minnesota. But the offense still, you know, suffers sometimes where it just stalls out, especially. Uh, I mean, it, it would be interesting to look at the offense in the end of second halves, or the end of the second quarter, into the third quarter. It just is not producing much, and which is usually very critical points of football games because you can steal points at the end of half. Unfortunately for Purdue, it is giving away points often at the ends of the first half, and then you know can uh, can get points early on in the the third quarter that can make a, a big difference. Purdue is not doing that, at least not with very much consistency in the first half of the year. And if it does start to get a little bit better offensively, man, it seems like it seems like Purdue could take another step forward. Yeah, great point. You're exactly right about end of the half, beginning of the second half, being critical junctures of every game. And I agree with you on Aiden O'Connell. I, I thought he was better Saturday than it was at Minnesota. Obviously, we, we, we got to assume he's healthier. I'm like you, Kyle. I still don't think he's 100%, but he, but he looked pretty good on Saturday. you got to think he's only going to get better moving forward here, and they're going to need it. One concern, I think, for, for any Purdue fan should be the offensive line. Now, it's, it's played pretty well, Kyle, but yeah. Daniel Johnson is now out for the season with an injury. So that's one right tackle, Cam Craig, done. His, his, his replacement, Daniel Johnson, done. So Purdue's down to six offensive linemen that they really feel comfortable playing. They have to dip below those six. They got guys they'll put in there, Kyle, but they're not super confident in them. So the O-line is already starting to walk a razor's, in, razor's edge thin situation from a depth standpoint. So keep that on your radar moving forward. They can't afford much more attrition at all. And, you know, Kyle, we're about 10 minutes deep here talking. We haven't even referenced Jalen Graham's return, right? How about that? Yeah. Check this out, Kyle. There were 67 defensive snaps Saturday. He played 62, 93%. I think a lot of people wondered – how, how long could he go? How hard could he go since he hadn't played since September 1st? Well, he answered our questions, and then some. He just happened to lead the team with nine tackles. Soon was all over the field. What a difference maker number six is. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he, he played a lot, played more than I thought he would play, and I think he ended the game with, what, nine tackles, one yeah. for a loss, pass breakup. He did sort of what he does out there. I was interested, as I was watching the game, and then I think I read your – uh, one of your stories after the game, uh, Chris Jefferson did not play very much. Uh, yeah. And and he's been a guy who has, you know, sort of played that spot that Jalen Graham has, has been in and played it fairly well, I thought. Any any thoughts on why he had so few snaps in the game? Hope to find out this week. Uh, I was like you. I know we all know Jalen was back, but Chris Jefferson is a snap eater. And he typically will play back there next to Cam Allen. What was Snoozy Kane getting those snaps in College Park on Saturday? Snoozy's good. I think they like Chris Jefferson better. So I think there's something there's something going on there, probably from an injury front. We need to find out. So yeah, that's something that's it's got to be on our radar. You know, OC Brothers missed the game. We saw Clyde Washington get a lot more snaps, and Samisi Fakasieki, a linebacker. And then, of course, King Drew continues to be out, the number one running back. He's missed, I think, four games now. We haven't seen him since Indiana State, I believe. So those are, I guess, the main injury guys on everybody's radar at this point. So, yeah, there's always that uh, those concerns from an injury standpoint. But by and large, Kyle, I think Purdue's got to be about as healthy as you could hope to be at, at the midpoint. 
Let's uh, jump back to the offensive line real quick. Purdue did give up five sacks, and I'm not sure that every one of those sacks was on the offensive line. Though Purdue at, at times did have a little bit of trouble on the edges. Uh, Payne Durham missed a block out there, not an offensive lineman, obviously, but but a tight end trying to pick up a guy. I think Aiden O'Connell you know, maybe held onto the ball a couple of times a little bit too long. And Jeff Brom, after the game, said, you know, maybe he didn't step mm-hmm. up in the pocket um, like he should have on a couple of occasions. And, you know, we know he doesn't have the the foot speed to sort of escape the pocket. Um, but it is a little bit concerning. Uh, you know, Eric Miller's played right tackle before, so it's not as if he's necessarily a third-string right tackle. But you are now shifting some guys around. I, I guess the hope is that you can have the Fison plus the extra guy sort of mesh here a little bit and then not sustain any more injuries and hope that that group can hold up as well as the previous group did during the five, first five games of the year. Yeah, that, that's the hope. You know, uh, the number one line to begin the game Saturday, left to right, was Musa, Holstead, then Hartwick snapping, then you had Bo, right guard, and then, of course, Eric Miller went from left to right tackle. Sione Finau is the one guy off the bench, Kyle. He's a, he's a guard. He can play left or right guard. We know Miller can play both sides. Musa can play both sides. And also Marcus Bowe can also play tackle in addition to guard. So they've got some flexibility uh, to move guys around and mix and match if they need to. But those were the six guys who played. No other offensive lineman took snaps. I think Hartwig and Holstead typically play about every snap. So you can see the predicament they're there. they got to keep their fingers crossed and hope for no more attrition. And that's, that's, I think that's really wishful thinking, Kyle, with six games to go, to not expect one of those guys to get dinged up. Um, hopefully not two. But, again, um, so long way to go here to try to hope that you can get by with just six offensive linemen the rest of the way. Yeah, certainly is. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more Big Ten West football. Uh, it's going to be a mess, I think, here in the uh, in the conference season, uh, that's for sure. But some big games over the weekend, and maybe Purdue taking another step forward toward one of the favorites there in the West. We'll do that here coming up on Gold and Black Radio. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you find East End Grill Industrial and Classic. The restaurant is built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. East End Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. A warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event in the private dining room, the energized and attentive staff is here for you. Easton Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group is your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying or selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit acrepro.com. Or call 765-587-3185 to talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. At Purdue Federal Credit Union, it's about a relationship. A relationship that goes where you go, wherever you are in life. A relationship that's committed to free financial wellness resources, lower fees, 
and innovative digital banking solutions. Because we believe in people helping people. Let's build your financial future together. Purdue Federal Credit Union, your trusted financial partner for life. Federally insured by NCUA. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at twdesignbuild.com. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. And Kyle here with Tom. Tom, let's start a little bit with Nebraska. That will be the Boilermakers' opponent on Saturday night in Ross-Ade Stadium. Primetime game again for the Boilermakers. This is a Nebraska team that has an interim head coach. It has won a couple of games in a row in the Big Ten, though. Both of those um, against probably the two bottom feeders in the Big Ten East in Indiana and uh, Rutgers. That was an ugly game against the Scarlet Knights on on Friday night in Piscataway. Um, But maybe, you know, a a Nebraska team maybe that has improved a little bit certainly has has, uh, won games in the end instead of losing them, even even if it is against lesser or seemingly lesser uh, opponents, pretty will be a double-digit, I didn't see the exact number, double-digit, right, favorite, uh, 11, 12 points, whatever it is, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, but if Purdue is to uh, compete in the Big Ten West, every one of these games is pretty important. Kyle, we could have a podcast that just discusses which game was worse, the Rutgers-Nebraska game or the Iowa-Illinois game, but let's not do that for the tortured <laughs> souls out there in America. Yeah, and again, the wins over Rutgers and Indiana really count in the standings, Kyle. Come on. I don't want to rain on Nebraska's parade, but I'm going to rain on their parade. <laughs> Here comes Nicky yeah. Joseph, like you said. They won their last two. I was thinking about this this morning. This is the third Nebraska coach Brahms will have coached against. <laughs> Mike Riley, Scott Frost, now Mickey Joseph. Brahms one of the more tenured coaches in the Big Ten now. It's crazy. But, yeah, here come the Huskers. Uh, they have a good running back, Grant. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they can do offensively. They do have some weapons on that side of the ball, but Kyle, the Nebraska defense is horrific. Um, look at the numbers. Watch the tape. Uh, I'll be shocked if they can put up much of a fight against Purdue, off Purdue's offense. The back end of the Nebraska defense is a real train wreck. I think they've got like a 25-year-old cornerback and like a true freshman cornerback back there now. So uh, I don't want to sound overconfident, but Purdue should be able to take care of business against, again, this team. I know they've won two in a row, but um, they're not that far from still circling the drain. Yeah. Uh, if you really wanted to torture yourself as a football fan this weekend, you could have watched on Thursday night the oh, Colts-Broncos <laughs> Thursday night game, followed that up with with the Cornhuskers-Scarlet Knights on Friday, and then watched that uh, <laughs> Illinois-Iowa game on Saturday. Had a real trifecta there of, what, about – about 70 points total scored. What's that? <laughs> the holy trinity of, ho- of horrible football. Yeah. Yeah, not good. <laughs> uh, so in the West, I mean, to me, it seems like uh, 
Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, the three teams. Iowa might be sitting there, though it lost, obviously, in a, you know another game in which the Hawkeyes just cannot do anything offensively. It's interesting that, you know, everybody else in the Big Ten is, is firing guys, right? Indiana fires its offensive line coach. Rutgers makes a change at, what, O.C.? Uh, Iowa seems, you know, good to go. They're averaging about nine points uh, per game. <laughs> but but Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, Minnesota and Illinois play this week, which which will be interesting to see uh, the outcome. And I think from a Purdue perspective, a little bit weird about which team you want to win that game, um, which maybe, you know, uh, needs a little bit of, of, of discussion perhaps. But um, – you know, those three teams, to me, seem like the three teams uh, in the West. Maybe you still put Wisconsin in there. Certainly the Badgers looked a little bit better this weekend, though, against very bad competition. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right. I think Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue look like they're, they're probably the teams you would say are the favorites. I'm like, you, I don't want to start shoveling dirt on Wisconsin just yet, but I'm not going to throw them a parade for, for, for wiping out Northwestern last week. Um, and Purdue's got to go there next week, Kyle. And we all know the uh, the long sordid history of that series yeah. at Purdue. So still plenty of hurdles for the Boilermakers. But I'm like you again, Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue. I tell you what, I think if you're a Purdue fan, maybe you want the Gophers to win in Champaign since you've already beaten the Gophers. Um, give Illinois another loss. Uh, Purdue slate, and I still like the Gophers too if they get their running back Ibrahim back. I still like Tanner Morgan. I still think they can be effective. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, they were off last week. We'll see what type of uh, team they look like coming out of their off week. And Kyle, who would have thought the biggest game in November for Purdue back in August would have been that game at Champaign on November 12th? Huh? Isn't that crazy? Um, it could end up being the biggest game. And, and I still am rubbing my eyes and thinking to myself, did Illinois really lose to Indiana earlier this year? Did that really happen? And, yeah, yeah, it happens, so it's crazy. That's a bad loss in the Big Ten for, for the Illini. So uh, it's kind of fun to see a massive success. The Canning game is going to have a lot of meaning maybe. And that's a series, Kyle, that Purdue has really dominated of late. So just a lot of fun football, I think, um, at, our, at our feet in the Big Ten West here coming in in the last half of the season. And that Illinois-Indiana game, I still – was it the, the, the officials took a score off the scoreboard for yeah. Illinois. Is that what the scenario was? I, yeah. I still I watched yeah. that play live. I saw the replay. I, I don't see how they reversed that call. Um, I, I know we've seen some bad calls, uh, but Illinois has got to right. be, you know. Real, real, real quick, Colin, not to go keep rehashing last week, but with Cam Allen offside, you're not on that PAT block. Give me your no. honest. Give me your honest opinion. I don't think, you, you, you don't I don't think, think he was, was offside. I, I think he well, I timed think it up perfectly. You do think he was oh, offside? I, I thought he was offside. No, I'm, if you watch the video, he times it up pretty. He might have left a, a a tenth of a second early, but you've got to actually be in the neutral zone. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's very close. <laughs> It's but, kind of uh, funny, the guy that was blocking Maryland him. sends out – Maryland. the Maryland's actual account <laughs> sends out a picture of the ball already snapped. Like, come on. I mean, I know, the, the I know they deleted it, but talk about the misleading. The ball's the, halfway to the holder. Yeah, and the guy who was blocking Allen kind of let up, kind of thinking maybe the play was going to get blown dead. If you go back and watch yeah. it, too. But anyway, it was just so crazy. And, of course, that 
illegal man downfield call on Maryland on their two-point conversion, try to scrub that. That was obvious that the guy was blocking Samisi Pakasheki in the end zone. And what? <laughs> talk about game-changing penalties. Non-penalties and penalties. I mean, it's just like crazy at the Razor's edge. Uh, how close these games are from winning and losing them for you every week. Yeah. We haven't really talked about the uh, the time management situation for for Jeff Brom at the yeah. end of that game. That was not, uh, you know, there are some time management situations I think that are that are pretty obvious that I think sometimes coaches still get wrong. Um, and I'm not sure that there were necessarily right or wrong answers there for Jeff Brom, which I think made it even more uh, challenging for yeah. him uh, toward the end of that game. I, I think ultimately, though, he made the best decisions that he could with uh, trying to run out some clock and then scoring on third down. The reason I say that is he he both tried to win the game while also mitigating the chance that Purdue would lose in regulation. And I think that that ultimately was the best thing in that situation that he could have done. I mean, he could have ran the clock down one more time and then tried to score on fourth yeah. down. But if you don't do that, Maryland has a really good field goal kicker. And while they're starting at their one yard line, they've only got to get, you know, 60 yards in, in, in 40 seconds to have a chance. As it turned yeah. out, they went like 80 yards in 37 seconds to score a touchdown there. So, you know, I, th- I think Jeff Brown probably made the right choices in a situation where maybe all the all, all the choices were not obvious, as they are in some time management situations at the end of halves or at the end of games. I think he had to get points. You, you couldn't just leave the ball there at the one-yard line at 24-23. You had to kick a field goal on fourth down if you're going to take it down one more play or try to score a touchdown. But, again, if you score, try to score the touchdown on fourth down, you don't get it. It's only one-point game, like you said, with plenty of time for – they're on the probably in field goal range, and they've got a very good kicker. So uh, I think they, I think they, 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 they had to get points, and they got points to make Maryland have to score a touchdown. We all know Maryland ended up scoring a touchdown after the after the subsequent kickoff. So you're right. This is fun, fun debate. The one thing Coach Brom said afterward was obvious. An obvious goal there was to use as much time as they could, and I think they yeah. drained as much as they they thought they could, and then still scored the touchdown. On uh, what was it? third down and uh i think there was one was it 120 left after they scored i want to say maybe and yeah uh, maryland had no timeouts so yeah it was just a harrowing situation and you could probably justify a couple of different ways to go with a strategy there and you know for purdue it worked out but man it was awfully close to going to ot too kyle i just know when Payne durham was dragging uh terps those last 20 yards i was yelling at him through my TV not to score. <laughs> Don't score. <laughs> Go down. Yeah. yeah. Just, just fun stuff. That's why we love the sports. Yeah, no doubt. It's fun to debate. Uh, thanks, Tom. Should be a, a big week uh, as we sort of gear up toward this Nebraska game. All right, that'll do it for the podcast for this week. Be sure to uh, check out goldandblack.com for much more football, obviously, also Big Ten Media Days is this week as we start to get ready for the hoops season as well. If you do like the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars. Subscribe via your favorite podcast app as well. Thanks to our sponsors also. For Tom Deanhart, I'm Kyle Charters. Thanks for listening. This is Golden Black Radio.